Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Chris Zarnick for a very special Friday edition of Green and Gold Forever. The game that we'll be briefly talking about is quickly becoming a distant memory. Uh, I had the opportunity uh, through work to be in the Chicagoland area earlier this week, so that's why we weren't able to have a show uh, earlier on in the week on a normal Monday or Tuesday But if you can remember all the way back to Sunday, the Green Bay Packers, for the first time in a while, uh, were able to get a victory, this time against the Chicago Bears, 23-16. And this was an interesting game. Um, I think, other than the novelty of being Brett Hundley's first win, I don't know if it'll have a lot of staying power in the minds of Packer fans. But for all the talk of the sky is falling, the Packers are going to lose out, maybe we should tank for a better draft pick. Maybe all those things are on the table, but it's a nice reminder that it's still fun to win a football game. Well, it's it's fun to uh, to win a football game and to uh, run the ball uh, as much or more than you throw it is a new thing for the Green Bay Packers. To have your top two running backs go out uh, in the very early stages um, you know, when people when the Packers took three running backs, there were a lot of people who were rolling their eyes, and I think uh, I think Packer fans are pretty happy right now that we took three running backs because <laughs> your your starting running back is going to be Jamal Williams, and then Devontae uh, Mays, Mays yeah. is going to be your backup. And uh, and I saw something that they worked out Dare Agumbuale from uh, Wisconsin this week. That would and, be fun. Yeah, I think he would be a really good fit actually. So so I think for me, listen. Um, this doesn't make everything right. Last week we were talking about that that the season's over, and I have no reason to believe that that's different. Um, <laughs> we won a football game against a bad football team, but but we saw a couple of things. Number one, we saw uh, running backs in, in a, a line, uh, which I want to talk about in just a second. The, the, the blocking scheme has changed entirely, and that's mm-hmm. one of the big changes here. And then you saw glimpses from Brett Hundley. You saw him able to make throws downfield, uh, pretty well, and so you saw glimpses of who we could be. But again, it was the Bears, so let's not you know let's not all think that all is well and right with the world. Absolutely. So just to bring up Hunley, since uh, you were talking about him, he was eighteen of twenty five for two hundred and twelve yards, a touchdown, no interceptions. That's a hundred and ten quarterback rating. So very efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the kind of quarterback performance. I, I guess that's maybe your max best performance you could hope for from your true backup quarterback. He, As you said, he had some glimpses. His footwork is still pretty lousy. He throws off his back foot a lot. But what was interesting is he had two great throws to Devontae Adams. Mm-hmm. Uh, he hit the back shoulder throw for the touchdown. And then... I guess late bombs on third and fourth down yeah. at Soldier Field is just tradition now, no matter who's in the game. And, and you know, makes if, a Rodgers it's just throw. bonus if you can catch it with one hand going down the <laughs> sidelines. Um, you know, it's great to see those glimpses. I was much more impressed with the running game. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, Jamal Williams, um, you know, is, is the career rushing leader at um, at BYU. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we drafted him for a reason, but in the beginning of the year, you would watch him run. And if it was called, you know, a run to the two hole, 
it didn't matter who was in the two hole. He was going to run right up the back of his yeah. offensive line or right into a defensive tackle in the two hole. And you saw some really, uh, really nice jump cuts. You saw some really good anticipation. And, um, you know, he only averaged about three and a half yards per carry, but they were tough yards. That one run he had on third and four where he runs right yeah. through that Chicago Bear um, tells you everything you need to know about his strength and his ability. And he's always been that. He, he's mm-hmm. not been the breakaway guy. He's always falling forward. He's always three and four yards per carry. Uh, that's exactly what we needed. But the blocking scheme, I, I want our listeners uh, next week to, or this coming week to take a look at the blocking scheme, which for the last 10 years has all been zone blocking, which is everybody you know steps to the left or steps mm-hmm. to the right to kind of create a fence, and then the running back is trying to find a place to cut up through there. Well, now you're seeing all kind of trap plays, your mm-hmm. uh, tight end traps and tackle traps and um, and combo blocks and those kind of things that are going back. None of that's new. Yeah. None of that's new. It's all, you know, that's 50s and 60s stuff, but there's a reason it's been in football for a long time. And so I, I've been for a long time hoping that they would scrap the zone blocking room because if they ran that, that zone left on the mm. first play of the game yeah. <laughs> one more time, I think I was going <laughs> to come right through the TV screen. Uh, but listen, we ran the ball against a pretty darn good front, and if we can do that, it takes an awful lot off of Hundley's shoulders, and he doesn't have to win the game. He can, I hate to say it, he can manage the game, and we can win in a different way. Yeah, and that, you saw a glimpse of that strategy against the Bears, and everyone was worried the Packers weren't going to be able to score enough points because that Bears defense has been playing reasonably well. And I agree that those were encouraging signs, but once again, the Achilles heel of this team injuries they lose Ty Montgomery for at least a game Aaron Jones is out four to six weeks and you have nine games left in the season or I'm sorry seven games left in the season you're nine games into the season and so now I mean Jamal Williams did some nice things he got tough yards but how many tough yards can you get when you're the only guy and teams are keying on that I'm excited that Hunley was able to move the ball down the field a little bit more. I thought it was good to see Devontae Adams play like a true number one. Mm-hmm. I think it's clear right. that as time goes by now that he's he's your number one guy and probably has been since about midway through last season. I mean, Jordy and, and Cobb are nice veterans, but Devontae Adams is going to be your passing game. So now you're down to Hunley, your third string running back, and one really effective receiver. It was nice to beat the Bears, but... I'm not ready to say they're going to even beat Baltimore. Uh, no, uh, but, but what, what what does look good for them is if you can run the ball. And if I don't, if I remember correctly, the stats they ran uh, on more plays than they passed. Yeah, they did. And so uh, what that gives you the opportunity is to go play action. And we talked yeah. about this a couple of weeks ago. Is that you know play action a doesn't mean anything if you're not running the ball or can't run the ball. And b play action is the number one thing. If you can establish the play action pass, you make your life so much easier that you can throw to your tight ends, you can throw uh, out to the backs out of the backfield. Life gets a lot easier for your quarterback um, when they can just dump it off and you you know fool the linebackers a little bit. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, but our defense kind of made Mitch Trubisky look like um, a second coming of John Elway. It, it was uh, <laughs> uh, it's hard to believe that you can have somebody who hasn't really done that much against other teams, and um, you know, kind of. Same stuff, different day from our defense. Um, just enough to win, I guess. But but you know we're going to have to have a turnover or two, or maybe even the defense score and a and a special teams touchdown for us to win some of these games. And boy oh boy, um, 
you know, their running defense was very good. I got yeah. to, uh, there was a Montrevious Adams sighting. Yeah. And a Vince Beagle sighting. Yeah. Which uh, was pretty exciting. But I, you know, their back end is still is still trouble. Yeah, and and Trubisky was twenty one to thirty five, two ninety seven, a touchdown, ninety seven quarterback rating. He hasn't approached anything close to that in any of his other starts. And I posted a article from. Um, I believe it was the Acme Packing Company, which is uh, the Packers SB Nation site. Mm. And they had a great take that is similar to what we've been talking about for a long time, but really talking even more schematically with visual stuff that's easier to understand than a podcast about how Dom's defense is essentially designed for an NFL that no longer exists. It's similar to how we talked about he's playing Jim Leonard's defense in the NFL. Right, right. You allow for underneath passes. Young quarterbacks, bad quarterbacks, bygone era quarterbacks are going to miss a lot of those throws when asked to go 12 plays, 14 plays to score a touchdown. Modern quarterbacks have no problem throwing that nine-yard pass. And you saw that a lot with Trubisky where it would be third down and 12, and the defenders would all be standing 10 yards beyond the line of scrimmage, basically giving him whatever he wanted underneath. And when you're a poor tackling team, that's a recipe for some pretty bad um, third down conversion rates defensively like we saw against the Lions. They did a little better against the Bears, but still seeding miles and miles of yardage to an offense that could, can't move the ball against anyone else. Yeah, 300 yards. I mean, think about three yards away from 300 yards for a rookie quarterback who hasn't done much against anybody else. And and here, here's an issue schematically with the cornerbacks that I never understood. Listen, there's two ways to play cornerback. You can either play off seven or eight yards and let the receiver come to you and let them make their break and then and then run with them. Or you can jam them at the, you can play them head up at, you know, within two yards of the line of scrimmage. But when you do that, you have to jam them or at the very least take away either the inside or the outside route. So you Mm -hmm. play either inside leverage or outside leverage. Well, the Packers do the worst of all things. They play (laughs) press coverage and don't jam anybody. (laughs) So not only are they right up on the receiver and the receiver can get past them easily, but they're not into the body and they're not taking away either the inside or the outside routes. I mean, you're vulnerable to every first move. Exactly. It's, it's, it's the one thing you would never do since ninth grade when they were teaching you, uh, you know, strategy as a cornerback, um, you know, in the junior high football field. So I'm, I'm super confused by because I know these guys are smart, and, and my guess is the, the cornerbacks are probably going, okay, Dom, we'll totally do this, but yeah. like this goes against everything I've learned my whole career. <laughs> There's just no way that that story ends well, so I don't get it. You know, you give up 10 yards yeah. and you can't tackle, or you press and you let them beat you with your first move, and then they can run that slant route or that or that um, crossing route that beats us every day. So, and I know that they don't want to give up big plays. I understand that. But his touchdown pass notwithstanding, which was a very nice deep ball by mm-hmm. Mitch yeah. Trubisky, for most quarterbacks in the NFL, wouldn't you rather take your chances, especially with supposedly the strength of your secondary being at safety, make them beat you deep? If they do, you get your offense back on the field. You know, it makes even it makes even less sense if you put Aaron Rodgers in as the quarterback. Right. But who cares if they hit big plays? Because pretty much the only guys who can consistently throw the deep ball are your elite quarterbacks. Guys like Dak Prescott, who are really good, are not great right. deep ball throwers. Yep, you're right. They're going to miss half of them. 
even when guys are wide open. If they're contested, they're going to miss far more than that. Guys like Eli Manning have two Super Bowl wins. Joe Flacco's got a Super Bowl win and has never thrown the deep ball with any kind of consistency. So why are you letting him have all of these easy confidence-building completions? Make him throw it down the field. If he beats you for 40 yards, big deal. You'll probably make up for it with a couple sacks. Well, and you get way more interceptions on deep balls, too, because not only that, the ball's in the air long enough for the defender to find it. And you should have a safety. Now, I, I say I, I don't know where the Packer safeties are, but you should have a safety coming over. So you get a lot of deep balls intercepted as well, not just yeah. knocked down. You don't get a ton of you know five yard outs intercepted. Um, no. And you're right, the whole confidence building throws. You know, the, the last thing you want to do is let Mitch Trubisky take three step drops and get the ball out. And by the way, if you want to see what uh, Brett Hundley should look like throwing the ball on time. All you had to do is look at Mitch Trubisky, three steps and the ball is yeah. out, five steps and the ball is out. Yeah. And there's just one of the things that we, we tweet, or not tweet, we, uh, we text back and forth during the game, yeah. you and I, is nothing comes out on time. Like no. nothing comes out on time. time. You know, the West Coast offense is all about timing and it's forever looks like he's drawing it up in the dirt or retreating mm-hmm. or rolling right or whatever. So a um, lot of work to do here. Yeah. Um, but boy, you're not going to beat good teams with that defense. No, probably not. So um, the one thing that was fun and that got a lot of uh, joking back and forth on Twitter was the fact that at least the Packers got their mediocre quarterback in the fifth round instead of trading up to get the second pick in the draft. Uh, I I don't know. It's it's still incredibly early, but I don't see any chance that Mitch Trubisky is a special player. Well, I, I think he's. I think he is going to end up being a good NFL quarterback. I think he will start for them for some period of time because. You know, okay. So, so we say he's not special. He just lit us up for three hundred yards. So, so, but more importantly, his mechanics are good. His timing is good. His confidence is good. You didn't see, you know, snaps laying on the ground, fumbled. Yeah. You didn't see fumbled handoffs. He's super, super early in his career and just beginning to understand how to read defenses. And you no, know, you know, the Packers' defensive backfield is nothing to write home about. But 300 yards in an NFL game, I don't care who you're playing, is 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 pretty good. So, um, listen, I don't I don't think he's that yeah. way. I don't think he's Marino by any means. Um, he's probably Joe Flacco in his early years. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, he was beat up pretty badly by the Packers in his second season. But yeah, 300 yards against Dom's defense. I guess I'm not that impressed. <laughs> right. Newton in his second game had 400. Andrew Luck in like his fifth game had close to 400. Okay. I mean All those right. those early guys that were special. <laughs> They, they get like <laughs> they half look, a grand. They look special. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. gotcha. All right. But we'll see. I mean, it, it's early for him, and he doesn't exactly have a great supporting cast. So I was in Chicago earlier this week, and they had a uh, complimentary at the hotel I was at, the Chicago Sun-Times. So I grabbed that, and I read that because on the cover, I put a, a picture on our Facebook page. They really want John Fox gone, and it was funny to read how they thought losing to the Packers was this egregious sin on the part of John Fox and granted he hasn't had a lot of other success against other teams as well but over the last 30 years the uh, Packers have beaten the Bears or the Bears have beaten the Packers like one time every five tries so (laughs) I don't know if it's that egregious for John Fox but for me the thing that it helped me with is we talk so often about what the Packers are doing. And we talk about what they should have done when they lost to the Saints and what they should have done to slow down the Lions. You kind of lose sight of the fact that the other teams are good. I mean, the Saints haven't lost since week two. The Lions are starting to get momentum again. And I was reading the Bears talking about how everybody was bad and the front office stinks and John Fox stinks. And I was 
you know, thinking to myself, there's nothing in here giving the Packers credit for playing well. And I think it was a good reminder for me that, you know, sometimes you lose to the Saints because the Saints are good. The Saints are great. And <laughs> right. some of that kind better of better team. <laughs> well, I, you know, it makes you wonder how teams can be bad for that long. Yeah. Like, like, so look at the Bears and look at the Browns. Two very proud franchises, although the Browns are kind of the new Browns and the Ravens are yeah, the old yeah. Browns. Um, but, but to go years and years and years and years and years and be bad is pretty hard to do. I mean, you've got to yeah. really kind of work hard at it. So, uh, and, and I think losing to the Packers, you know, once, you, once you're down on John Fox, you're looking for any reason to say he should be out the door, and so you blow it out of proportion. Um, more importantly, I just don't think they see progress down there. And, they, you know, they mm-hmm. brought him in as a, as a seasoned coach who had turned around and run organizations before, and I just don't see a ton of progress there. And, that, and, and so I, I kind of don't blame him. You yeah. know, he's been there – Three or four years, I think it was something his like third that. Year, yeah, yeah, and so you've got to see some progress in in one area or the other. You know, become really good at at special teams, become really good rushing the football or something. Yeah, and um, you know, just just he hasn't really busted them out in any way. So I understand yeah. their frustration. I really do. Absolutely. Now, before we wrap up this game, we have to talk about the best challenge in the history of the NFL. Oh my gosh, where. I almost called him Sam Cunningham when I said, um, <laughs> Sam Bam Cunningham. Sam Bam coming number thirty nine for the Patriots. For the Patriots, and, and I think USC maybe could be. Yeah. Could um, be. So Benny Cunningham was extending for the end zone. They would have had first and goal from the one yard line. They challenged it, which again the Sun Times made it sound like the most egregious thing to do. But you know, it, it people get stuffed at the one yard line and have to settle for field sure. goals. If you think you have a touchdown, go for it. He fumbles. In clear, slow motion. So John Fox challenges for a touchdown. Not only does he not get a touchdown, the Packers get the ball at the 20. It was hilarious, and we weren't sure yet if that was going to be a game where the Packers were going to win. So that had been probably the best moment of the last month for me watching the Packers until Brett Hundley hit Devontae Adams with that bomb in the fourth quarter. Well, we sometimes worry about our coaching staff. We, we, we ram on Dom and we ram on Mike McCarthy a little bit, but um, I don't think we do a lot of that stuff. And remember, somebody was up in the booth looking at the replay saying – buzzing down to John, because that's how that works, right? They're watching the replay, mm-hmm. and they're at home, so they get all the looks they want. <laughs> they're on offense, so they get all the time they want, yep. you know? You could even you could even say that, uh, you know, you could even take a delay of game penalty if you wanted to get more time to do it. <laughs> and uh, But but it wasn't so obvious at first, because remember, no. even the even the uh, the announcers didn't pick up on the fact that he lost the ball until mm-hmm. about two minutes into that challenge, and at that point, it was, oh my gosh, this could be really something... Mm-hmm. Like, wait a second. No, I, don't, I didn't notice that, but could they really call that back? And, well, well, yes, they can. <laughs> I think there's a little bit of a, I guess, thought by a lot of these people that they're not going to do something bad to you if you challenge it. Like, the worst that can happen is that it stands. Not that once you go under the hood, everything is open to everything interpretation. Everything can be reviewed, exactly. So that was very fun, and I saw some speculation in, I think, the Ringer uh, website, theringer.com, was talking how that was kind of a bad rule, and I don't have a problem with that rule. The Packers got burned with it, I think, in 2013. Uh, it was either 2013 or 2007. They were playing the Redskins at home, okay. and James Jones fumbled the ball into the pylon, and that kind of worked against them. Honestly, I don't have a problem with the rule. It's been that way forever. Yeah, I I, I don't see a reason to change it. I, there's been a lot of hullabaloo about it. I think that's more about trying to find something to create hullabaloo about. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I just think I, I think it says something to the confidence of a, a team that you know you're down at the one yard line. But and listen, anytime you can challenge and get seven points out of it, there's kind of an unwritten rule. I mean, if you if if your challenge can result in a touchdown, you take the challenge because that seven points. Uh, is a really big deal. And think about this: well, we beat the we beat the Bears. Hooray! Well, wait a second. You take away that play, yeah. It's twenty three twenty three at the end of the game, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden we're you know so so a little bit of a bolt of lightning of luck for the Packers to make them win. So don't get you know don't get too high and mighty on on that. We we got a break. You mm-hmm. know it was time we got a break, but yeah. but we got a break, and um, and that was actually the difference in the game. Maybe at twenty three all, Justin Vogel would have focused extra hard and not messed up that hold, and then Mason would have made the field goal. At the wow! End. Just you know you find you find that's what happens in teams when they lose confidence. You, you see a lot of little things going wrong. You find a lot of different ways to lose the game um, because because people are just almost expecting to lose. And I, I will tell you, having been in the locker room and really good teams and, and teams that expected to lose, that is absolutely true where you walk out of the tunnel and one team is like, nobody can can hang with us and the next team is like you know something bad's going to happen but we'll try really hard today yeah and and maybe that explains why the bears have been bad for a generation maybe you just have that mindset all right so the packers were able to break their three-game losing streak and beat the bears at soldier field so here is something that i wanted to bring up a little story time since we are forever you know the forever part of green and gold forever this is the first time that the Packers are two games up on the Chicago Bears in their head-to-head record since October 16, 1932, when they beat the Bears 2 to nothing at Wrigley Field. Wait, wait. You said 1932 mm-hmm. and 2 to nothing? 2 to nothing Holy was the God. final score. But this gives me an opportunity to talk about one of the weirdest situations in the history of the NFL. So the Packers in 1932 were the three-time defending NFL champions. They had uh, finished with the best record, which is how they determined the champion back then. So the Packers, with two games left in the season, had a 10-1-1 record. They had to play at Chicago again. Um, They played the Bears three times that year, once in Green Bay, twice in Chicago. And then they had to play at the Portsmouth Spartans, which was the precursor (laughs) to the Detroit Lions, to end the season. They lost to Chicago 9-0. They lost to Portsmouth 19-0. That was the tail end of a seven-game road trip for the Packers. Oh, my God. I don't know if it was facilities or concerns about the weather. The Packers didn't actually start playing games at home consistently past Thanksgiving until the 90s. They had a very backloaded schedule, almost always sending them on the road for most of the post-Thanksgiving games until about the 90s. Wow. Wow. Um, which you can you can look at some of those old schedules. It's really remarkable. No, I'm sure you're right. I just have no idea why that would be. I, I think it's just the facilities or the cold or okay. something like that. So that was just uh, an interesting quirk. But because they lost those two games, that made the Packers' final record 10-3-1. The Bears get these records. The Bears were 6-1-6 six, six that year. Six ties? Six ties. Six ties, okay. And the Spartans were 6-1-4. So the way they counted winning percentage in 1932, that was one of the last years where teams played um, an imbalanced schedule. It was a little bit like college, so not everybody played the same number of games. Ties were completely thrown out. Okay. So what happened was the Bears, with their 6-1 record, and the Spartans, with their 6-1 record, tied for first place in the NFL when the season was over. The Packers get credit for a 10-3 record, our third place. 
Had you calculated winning percentage like they have since 1972, where a tie counts as half a win and half a loss, uh-huh. the Packers win the NFL, their fourth straight NFL championship outright. Um, unfortunately, that's not how they calculated it. So the Bears and Spartans were tied. It was the first time in the history of the NFL that this has happened. So the Bears and Spartans play the first ever playoff game. Scheduled for Wrigley Field in Chicago, the day that it happened in December, huge blizzards, huge um, uh, cold front, like ice bowl level temperatures. Yeah. So what they do is they move the game to Chicago Stadium. So hardcore fans would know this is the home of the Bulls and Blackhawks. Uh, even the, the first three Michael Jordan championships were played in Chicago Stadium. Oh, I'll be darned. So this is an arena. They put dirt and essentially the wood chips that they have at playgrounds and make a field out of it on the floor of Chicago Stadium. No. Inside the hockey rink. It's a 60-yard field with 10-yard end zones. <laughs> and what they had to do is um, touchbacks took you to the 15. If a team, according to what I've read, is if a team crossed the 10-yard line, it was an automatic 20-yard penalty to take you back to the 30 and simulate a 100-yard field. Wow. I couldn't find if the play got whistled dead if you crossed the 20 or just the play was allowed to continue and then if you were tackled, it went back 20 yards to the 30 if you crossed the 10. Uh, not a lot of passing in 1932, so it might not have ever had it a problem up, really. with it. Um, so the Bears ended up winning 9 to nothing in that game. But as far as I'm concerned and Green and Gold Forever is concerned, you played that farce of a game on wood chips with a 60-yard <laughs> field and you had a 7-1-6 and six record, I say, according to Green and Gold Forever, the Packers are the 1932 champions and the only winners of four straight football championships. Well, I, I, lo- I love the way that we just make this work for us. Uh, and, uh, but, but if you really think about that, that's the, uh, that's the precursor mm-hmm. to arena football. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, right? Because yeah. that's it. They're, you know, they're on that, the field's about that size and... You know, the uh, I remember going to play for the uh, not play, but mm-hmm. but but go watch a Blizzard game, and they have a saying up there that if a ball goes into the stands, you can keep it, but if a player goes into the stands, you got <laughs> to throw them back. Them <laughs> and they had that whole thing. It was essentially the same kind of arena football configuration. They went right up to the edge of the the hockey rink because wow, okay. that stadium at the time was only I think three years old, built specifically for the Blackhawks. Okay. So that's one of my favorite seasons because of just how bizarre it is. And it sounds otherworldly compared to the modern NFL. That's crazy. And uh, it's it's very interesting. So the 1932 NFL playoff game, it was called, they had, even with the weird rules and the indoor and the, the dirt, it was such a success in a 9 nothing game. <laughs> People liked it so much that the next year they split the... Um, league into conferences, and from that moment forward, they had the NFL championship game. So that's the origin of it. Uh, I, yeah. I did not know that. That's cool. So that's, that's super cool. That's very fun. Um, anytime I get a chance to talk about really super old stuff, I always have to take that <laughs> opportunity. So the, the precursor to that whole thing was 1932, uh, before the end of that season, was the last time the Packers were two up on the Bears. So it, it took them, what, um, 85 years to get back to that. Holy cow, that's... Um... <laughs> That's that's something I, I never heard that story. That's so neat. Mm-hmm. And you, you forget that football was uh, in its early years. They were, I mean, they were changing rules on a regular mm-hmm. basis. They were they were changing the game plan on a regular basis. You know, we kind of go from one season to another right now. And and you know, their teams are better and worse. But really, the the game, if you watch it, is pretty much the same all the time. But they were in the infancy. They were yeah. they were forming. 
not only the leagues, but they were forming the rules of football at that time, and, and that's pretty cool. Can't imagine that happening today. No, I, I would imagine not. <laughs> okay, so one thing before we went to some Facebook comments that we're going to hammer out and spend the rest of the podcast talking about, because a lot of what we just talked about might not even be relevant in a couple of days. And this next topic might not be relevant for more than a few more hours, but the Wisconsin Badgers, with perhaps their biggest game at Camp Randall Stadium ever, are taking on uh, a Michigan team who is now ranked by the College Football Playoff Committee in the top 25. The Badgers are number five. Um, on the outside looking in, but Miami and Clemson still have to play each other with the teams Wisconsin has to play. They basically control their own destiny as much as you possibly can in the college football playoff. I guess a couple of things. How do you think they'll do against Michigan? How good do you think the Badgers are? And I guess the two-part question is, so the fir- the first question, this is a separate question, okay. how are they going to do against Michigan? And then the subsequent two-part question is, what do you think the Badgers are going to do? And also, how good do you think they are? Uh, so, so first of all, I think you, I think you beat Michigan in a tight game because Michigan has a lot to prove and, and Harbaugh is – not having a really good year, and so for him, he's probably hyping this thing in the locker room as the be-all end of their Super Bowl for yeah. the year. If we can beat Wisconsin, that's a pretty good thing. And luckily, Wisconsin's had this circled since basically, what, October of last year. They're not going to have any problem getting up to playing Michigan. No, I think so, and, and it's going to sound odd, but as long as Hornibrook doesn't lose the game for yeah. you, um, at, you know, because remember, that game last week, what, was it 38 to 14 or yep. something like that? Um, it, it was really 38 to nothing, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> except Hornibrook threw those two pick sixes. And so I, I think they are really as good as they're ranked. I think they're ranked exactly where they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I think if they played anyone in the top four right now, they'd get beaten by any of those top four teams. Yeah. Because you don't have a, a consistent passing game. Um, I don't know if you read this, but Jazz Peavy is no longer with the team. He was their uh, he was their leading receiver last year, and he's been. I don't know if he's released from the team, but he's not with the team anymore. Yeah. Uh, so that's a big deal. Um, your number one receiver just went down, uh, broken Cephas, leg, I yeah. think. And so, um, listen, you're very good. You're 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 kind of where we always are. We're a very good running team uh, with a defense that I think is for real. Now, I oh, think yeah. the fact that Jim Leonard. They showed a, a stunt in there because you know there's always a, a, an end tackle stunt yep. on the defensive line, but they had the they had the end go over the top of two tackles and and they, and I've never seen that before. And he's brought some really good ideas from the NFL, and I think he has a really legit defense. Uh, but listen, it, it, still, it's just like the Packers. Their run defense is great. Their passing defense is not. Yeah, you know, it, uh, and the really good teams, the top four teams, can throw the ball, and we can't. So I, yeah. I think uh, I love the Badgers. Mm-hmm. You know, rah rah, all that kind of good stuff. But we had a conversation two or three weeks ago. Can they ever win a national championship? And I think this is the reason. The answer is no. Is they don't yeah. have elite receivers, they don't have an elite quarterback, and they don't have elite cornerbacks. And so I think they're right where they're supposed to be, number five. And and listen, twenty years ago when we were the laughing stock of the Big Ten, yeah. and, and I think we would have. Thought we died and went to heaven to be number five. I'm s- if they beat Michigan and let's say if they go thirteen and zero, I'll be convinced that they do have a legitimate shot to win a national championship someday. It's not going to be this year just because of the offenses sure, of the two weeks. Sure. But I see last week really kind of changed it for me, especially if you can get Jim Leonard to stick around for a while, which I think he will. I think he will too. Everybody gets blown away by. Oklahoma and these types of Clemson last year, teams that can just bury you in points. Oklahoma is a great example. 
What they fail to notice while Oklahoma's scoring 62 is that their opponent's scoring 40. The Badgers have the defensive equivalent of Oklahoma's offense. Yeah, yeah. The I, Iowa scored 55 against Ohio State and got 66 yards against the Badgers the following week. That's pretty incredible. I mean, that's... <laughs> Almost unthinkable. That's ridiculous stuff. Um, they still need to find a quarterback eventually. I'll say this about Hornibrook, and I didn't think of it myself. I saw it in a comment on Bucky's Fifth Quarter, which is the SB Nation site for the Badgers, is he makes some really dumb mistakes. He does it every week, but it doesn't change who he is. He's not afraid to throw after throwing two pick sixes in a game they're absolutely dominating. You know, I, I got to tell you, if I was the offensive coordinator, I would take – this is going to yeah. sounds extreme – I would take all the out patterns out of the offense. Because if you think about what, what passes get picked off and they go for six, outs. it's ones to the outs, right? Yeah. It's one to the outside. You don't, you don't see people getting a throw over the middle to the tight end, picking it off and going 60 yards for a touchdown. Oh, because it's, it's linebackers picking it off. Exactly. So, it's, so you take all the outs out of your offense. So you, I hate to say it, but, but so he can't lose the game for yeah. you, and then you let him manage the game. Uh, but, but, you know, I just think, uh, do, you know, if they go 13-0 and and do they have a spot, a legitimate spot in the playoffs? Yes. Do mm-hmm. I think they win a game in the playoffs? No. No, I, mean, I agree. Put put Alabama. We we had this a couple of years ago, right? Wisconsin against Alabama. Yeah. Wisconsin held up really well for a half. Alabama made their halftime adjustments, and then they were a steamroller. So there's just there's just different levels of talent. There's different levels of of scheme and coaching, and um, you know you are who you are, mm-hmm. right? Just you, you know, it's like um, you know I'm I'm six foot two, two hundred and thirty pounds. Uh, I can train as hard as I want. I'm still going to be the worst jockey out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know though. I mean, they're doing okay trying to ride that horse I right got, now with what they are. They're, so. they're, this is a good football team. We'll see. Um, but I agree. This year they're not going to win a national title. But uh, if they can close the deal and get to the playoff, my hopes that it will happen someday are going to be much higher than they are now. Well, I'll tell you, you can run the ball. Yeah, and you've got a good defense. Now what that really means is you can spend a real lot of time on your passing game. Now you've got some boxes that you've already checked. Yeah. Defense is good. Running game is good. All right, let's focus on getting a quarterback who can throw the ball. Yep. Right. So you don't need a read option quarterback. Yep. So we go out and we recruit people who can stand in the pocket and throw. And then we recruit some receivers. They don't have to be the best receivers, but you know, a top 30 receiver in the nation would look awfully good in this offense. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think there's a future for them there. there th- you always, when you go to win any kind of championship, there's a there's a phase where you, you know, you win and then you lose in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah. And then you win the first round. You know what I'm saying? Year after year, you kind of build towards that. And maybe that's where we're on our way to. Yeah, hopefully. Um, but we'll see tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow's a big one for the Badgers. Okay, now we're going to go and get to some questions that we've had on the Facebook page for a while. I want to start with some sent in by a great fan and a good friend of mine, Brian Dinsey. So we missed the second half of his comment in our marathon show last time. (laughs) And that was, who are the biggest busts, non-Tony Mandrich, and biggest surprise uh, contributor in Packers history? So um, I guess you can take that either way, but who is your biggest Packers bust that you remember that was not Tony Mandrich? Yeah, so uh, it's not a drafted player. It's a free agent. Okay. It's Joe Johnson. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Joe Johnson, if you remember, um, I'm trying to think, was it Mike Sherman? I'm trying to think who the quarterback was. 
Uh, or not, or the coach the was. I the, think it was Mike Sherman's first year in no, uh, two thousand two. So it would have been Sherman's first year without Wolf even as an advisor. Yeah, and so and so he goes out and he tries to recruit the preeminent defensive end to try and recreate the the Reggie White. You know, we see mm-hmm. that what Reggie did. He goes out to get them, and Joe Johnson is a man. I mean, he is he has been a beast. He's clearly the number one guy. They pay him a ton of money. And he gets hurt almost immediately, and he disappears. I mean, yeah. he has a two-year contract, I think. They let him go after the third, and um, and he was a complete non-entity yep. in that in that team. So there was all, all this uh, kind of like getting Martellus Bennett. There was all yeah. this, oh, my gosh, we fixed the one thing that was wrong. And for a different reason, it was just completely a flame out. Yeah, and by accident in the mid-rounds, they happened to draft Aaron Campman. So they are able to have Campman and KGB – be a pretty good pass rushing right. tandem, but they spent a lot of money on Joe Johnson. Also, that same off season, they traded for Terry Glenn. Oh yes, so it was a real bad off season for uh, first of many for general manager Mike <laughs> Sherman. Um, yeah, I guess How the other you? one. You're the biggest bust for you. Do you think uh, the the only other one I can really think of is uh, well, I guess there's two. Bruce Clark, the guy who went to the Canadian, Canadian Football, Football League, League, wouldn't even play for him. Wouldn't yep. play for the Packers. Uh, I was reading, researching some old uh, newspaper articles for a uh, larger podcast project that I'm working on. Uh, they said Bruce Clark was the only drafted Packer between 1979 and 1988 to go to the Pro Bowl, and he did it as a member of the Saints. Wow. <laughs> uh, so they did wow. not have a very good uh, track record for the Packers. Yikes. Um, all right, I think it was 79 because obviously uh, James Lofton was drafted in 78 and went to a few Pro Bowls. <laughs> um, the other one perhaps is Brent Fullwood just because uh, not only was he, I believe, fifth overall draft choice. It was high for sure. But because of the hope that he would someday turn it around, they passed on Barry Sanders. And I don't think they would have gone with uh, past Mandrich to begin with. But you at least would have given a more serious look to Barry sure. Sanders and then perhaps some of those character things where Mandrich is basically holding out before you even drafted him. And then you have Barry Sanders, who's the humble guy that, yeah, I'll, I'll go wherever you need me. Uh, you might have given a little longer look to him. It's, it's interesting. You know, we, we, the one thing you can't measure at the Combine is character. Yeah. And we see all that it happen over and over again. People who are incredibly talented, fast, strong, um, but but – Push comes to shove, you know, you, you have to evaluate a person based on their history. And there's, when, when somebody's going to be in trouble or not going to put out good effort, um, it shows. That, you know, there are signs out there. And so um, I, I think you can, you can teach a lot of things. You, people can get stronger and they can get faster. Uh, but you, it's very hard to become a better human being. So there's a, <laughs> there's a good example where we drafted for talent, but we kind of let him, you know, Mandrich go for the fact that he just wasn't an honest guy. You, you know? don't think a bigger contract helps you become a better human? Well, being? it's hard to say. We, we have to actually try. Oh, wait, we did try that. Yeah, it didn't really <laughs> it didn't work, work out that well. Well, I always thought the saying was money always improves your character. But... <laughs> okay, biggest surprise contributor in Packers history. That can be taken any number of ways. Um, Chester Markle. Hey, that's a good one. Chester Markle. Um, so in the early... Uh, in the early 70s, Chester Markle 
was the scoring for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, and, and really interesting, one of the very first soccer-style kickers. Yeah. You know, we don't even call them soccer-style kickers anymore because there's no more straight-on <laughs> kickers anymore. People very often forget that uh, Dempsey kicked that at the time, the 63-yard field goal, was a straight-on kicker yeah. with half a shoe because he had a deformed foot from birth. That he actually cheated. Had, it was like a block of wood. Yeah, on the right, exactly. Uh, and, so, and so this whole idea of, oh, my gosh, there's a soccer-style kicker in the 70s was a very new, different thing. Now there's no such thing as a straight-on kicker. Yep. Soccer style is the only way of doing it. But, but the, the, in the 70s, the, the, uh, the Packers moved the ball really well running the ball but would forever stall out uh, in the red zone. Actually, that sounds kind of familiar. <laughs> um, but uh, Chester Markle... Uh, was just this incredibly consistent kicker. Uh, he also has that great game where the field goal against Chicago gets blocked and yep. it gets blocked into his arms and he runs it around. Um, yeah, that's scores a, a touchdown. 1980 season opener. Yeah, exactly right. So, um, there's mine. Kind of came out of nowhere uh, at that time. You, mm-hmm. you're, you, you know, some guy from Poland's going to come, and he never played football. And he's a soccer player, and you're like, where in the world are we going here? And all of a sudden, for years and years and years, he is uh, solid as the day is long. Absolutely, that is a great one. Um, trying to think of, like, you can kind of take the obvious, like. Uh, Donald Driver or something like that. Uh, the the two quarterbacks that we've had uh, really aren't. I know Brett Favre gets the, oh, you came from nowhere. They traded a first-round <laughs> pick for him. Um, maybe I'll say, well, to have the all-time leader in sacks be a, a fifth-round pick that you didn't know who was going to make the team uh, before Clay Matthews, Kabir Baja Biamila. Oh, there, see, there you go. Uh, and, and not the biggest guy in the world. I, I remember, no. I, I was, again, at a, bl- a Blizzard game, and, and Kabir was there, and I saw him, and I, I walked up, and I'm like, holy crap, I'm almost as big as he is now. We're shaped differently. <laughs> he has many more curves where there are supposed to be curves, and I have many more curves where there's not supposed to be curves. But uh, just on sheer will and talent, um, that's a really good one. I like that. Yeah, I mean, long player was deceptively strong, had a good outside move, and really had a really big impact early in his career, but was quietly solid for his entire for career. A long time. I think people would be surprised to remember that he played and I believe was the leading sacker on the 2007 team. Okay. Uh, or, or Campman might have been the leading sacker, but he was um he was close. Um can't remember everything off the and top he, of And he and he led the Packers in syllables too. <laughs> Kabir Baja Bihamila. <laughs> Back in my radio days, they used to publish every Saturday night, and probably still do, a, uh, the Associated Press would publish a pronunciation list oh. of famous people, okay. and it always got a kick out of me, or I always got a kick out of the fact that for years and years, he was always on there. That's funny. <laughs> there's, there's world leaders and things, and then Kabir Baja Biamila would always be on there. Okay, so Brian also had the question, and this one might be difficult to do off the top of the head, but it will still be fun to do. Please discuss your top two seasons by decade since the 1970s. So these can either be the best or the worst or the most memorable, and we'll see what we can come up with here. Um, I don't know, Chris, if you want me to maybe guide us. I have two for each that I came up with. Yeah, sure, go ahead. And then if you have another one, we can talk about them. So the 70s are pretty easy. I think the Packers get the reputation for being lousy in the 80s, and I think a lot of fans remember the 80s less fondly. And I think that's for two reasons. It's because it was further from the Lombardi years. Uh-huh. But also, the 70s, they stunk. And the 80s, they were maddeningly close, but never got that close. Right. You changed the results of about five 
uh, games at the end of seasons, they make the playoffs like three or four times. Wow. Um, 81, 83, and 89, they were eliminated on the last day of the season, each of those seasons. And then they went eight and eight several other times in between there. So for the 70s, you don't have that many to choose from. Right. They were really bad, except for two seasons when they finished above 500. Of okay. course, 1972 with John Brockington and MacArthur Lane won the division, lost the first game of the playoffs. And then 1978, where they started 7-2 and two in James Lofton's rookie year. Uh, Turdell Middleton comes from nowhere. Ezra Johnson's leading the defense. And they start 7-2 and two and then have a dismal finish. The offense falls apart, and they finish 8-7-1 and one and lose the division on a tie. Okay, all right. So, so read the question again, would you please? Because I, I'm trying to... Is it the most interesting year, or is it the? It's your top two seasons, so that it can be however we interpret it. Uh, okay, so so uh, I can tell you the way it started. My favorite season was the year Bart Starr came back to coach the Packers. Now the story does mm-hmm. not end well, just to be really <laughs> yeah. clear. But uh, for somebody who just missed out on the Lombardi years, to have somebody who is related to the Lombardi years come up and and Bart Starr. You know, God love him. I know he's he's in in declining health, but fantastic human being. Started Rawhide Boys Ranch and just loved Green Bay and has has been such a solid guy. Like you really felt like it was the second coming. Like yeah. Like if he led the offense of Lombardi, then he's bringing some of Lombardi with him. And then um, less so when Forrest Gregg comes. Yeah. That that was weird. That was yeah. really weird because you went from. Uh, Bart Starr, soft-spoken, nice guy to Forrest Gregg, kind of, I'm going to Lombardi you back into the playoffs. And and I think what that did for me, the reason it's memorable and not in a good way, is it, it kind of it dimmed the light on the on the, the t- uh, I guess the, the, the scheme talent of, of the Lombardi players. Sure. Uh, that, you know, that they weren't, they weren't the be-all, end-all, you know, no matter where they show up, they're going to win. And so for me, that was uh, just heartbreaking. I was, you know, I was yeah. in my, I was in my teens, uh, you know, early teens to late teens. And, and each time one of those guys came in, there was this enormous uh, feeling, goodwill feeling, warmth for the whole Packer community that, okay, this is the guy that's going to bring us back. He's a known quantity. He's a winner. He knows how to do it. And then, and then at the end of them, disappointed because, well, if they can't do it, yeah. then, then who can? So That's a great perspective I've never heard is that um, it tarnished the legacy of Lombardi to have two of his protégés fail so much to try to resurrect the team. Yeah, because you really thought that that you know he, they just would take whatever Lombardi did, yeah. and do it whether it was toughness, whether it was getting the players ready or whatever. And and it just shows you that good players don't make good coaches. You yeah, know, that you can be a fantastic player and not be a very good coach. Uh, but I think it was really more the the, the roller coaster you were on that that when they announced it, like over the moon, oh my gosh, here's the mm-hmm. second coming of Lombardi's Packers. And then, you know, uh, a season or two in and you're kind of going, no, we're, we're still bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's a good transition to the 80s. So um, uh, Bart Starr was hired in 1975. Forrest Gregg was hired in 1984. So that can be one of your 80s seasons. Sure. Uh, mine is obviously one going to be 1989. It's just such an interesting year to have uh, Lindy and Fonte have a 10-win season with Don Mikowski beating Joe Montana at Candlestick and finishing second in the MVP voting. It sounds like something that happened on Tecmo Super Bowl and not in real life. <laughs> so I, I always appreciate that season. And um, the other one to me, there's a lot in there, but it's got to be either 81, 82, or 83. 81 is the year they traded for John Jefferson and nearly make the playoffs. Yep, right. 82 is the year in the strike year they do make the playoffs. 
win a game at Lambeau and then have a thriller against Dallas that they lose uh, in the second round of the playoffs. And then 1983, where they lit up the scoreboard on both sides, offense and defense, and then uh, lost uh, their chance to go to the playoffs on a last-second field goal in Chicago uh, on the last game of the yeah, season. Yeah, that's really good. I, I, that's really good. The, the, one, the one in the 80s I can't shake from my mind is 1980 when the Bears beat a 61-7. <laughs> I was yeah. the biggest Packer fan ever, and I went down to um, I went down to college in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which, of course, is just on the border of Illinois. And, uh, of course, there were a lot of Illinois people who were going to school at the same college. And I was just, you know, I was just talking smack because I was 18 and stupid. And, and I remember sitting in a dorm room with about 10 other people, about half of us Packer fans and half of us Bear fans, and walking out of there just yeah, <laughs> like, you know, we were just getting laughed at. And and you're just like, man, what is there left to root for? That's, you know, <laughs> not not only getting beat that way, but, but getting beat by the Bears that way. And then you have to live with these guys in the dorm, you know, for the rest <laughs> of the year. That that. I don't think I'll ever forget that one. Yeah, that, <laughs> and that Bears team was not like a juggernaut. No, I think I Vince Evans and Bob Avellini yeah. are quarterbacking. They had Walter Payton, but it's hard to score sixty-one points running the ball. Uh, yeah, the, the, the Packers were really bad. <laughs> yeah, that that definitely is a rough one. Okay, the nineteen nineties where things are much much rosier um, outside of the first two years and maybe the last year with Ray Rhodes. The nineteen nineties has a lot of meat to choose from. For me, um, it might sound cliched, but 96 and 97 are the winners there because it's that was when Green Bay was the king of the sports world. The Packers, after performing so well in 95, Favre wins the MVP. They take Dallas to the limit in the NFC Championship mm-hmm. game. They were ordained almost immediately, even by national sports writers. Right. This is the next team. They're going to win the Super Bowl. Who cares what Dallas does? Who cares what San Francisco does? Green Bay is here, and they're going to take everyone out. And then it came true. And when they started the season with three epic blowouts, from that moment on, until they lost the Super Bowl to Denver, they were the king of the sports world. I think Fox NFL Sunday was live at Lambeau Field like half a dozen times. Holy cow, yeah. They... I've never, I don't think the Packers have ever gotten to that point. Even winning the Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers, they've never gotten back to that point where this is the best team in the NFL. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. And everybody comes trying to prove that the Packers aren't and go back embarrassed. And I think, I don't know if we'll ever see an era like those two years again where the Packers are head and shoulders above everybody else. It doesn't matter if you're 13 and 1 or 10 and 0. The Packers are coming to your building right, and they're going right. to kick the crap out of uh, you. And, and, and find a weakness on the team. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. can you throw the ball? Yes. Can you run the ball? Yes. Can you defend the run? Yes. Can you can you defend the pass? Yes. Can best you, special teams best in the league. Best special teams, right. Exactly right. So, um, yeah, that's a really good uh, – hard, hard to walk away from that one. I think for me, it was probably the year right before. So, uh, ninety. it's the second year that we go down to Dallas and we get beat, but we play really, really well yeah. in the, in the uh, divisional round. Would that be – yeah, it's probably you're probably thinking of '95 in the the championship right, game, so. right? Yeah, and game. and I remember we're at we were at um, you know it was around uh, um, you know we we played them during the year and then and, and it played them really well and then we went back down there and and you could see you were close and and Dallas was preordained you know they they yeah. remember they were just coming off being really really good yeah. as well yeah and and you could just see the pieces coming together and then you think oh you know we're one piece away um and so it was really the you see we see it differently you, you see it from success down and yeah. i see it kind of from failure up yeah it was it was our ascent 
uh, into at least being more than respectable, but being, you know, Green Bay getting on TV and getting on the radio and getting in the newspaper was a rare thing for a very long time. And, and all of a sudden you're, you're playing toe to toe with people and, um, you know, yes, you got beat, and it's super disappointing, but you're right with them yeah. each time, and, and you can see greatness coming. Yeah, that's a good one, too. If, if you, you had come that long journey, I could see how exciting yeah. that was. Um, reading some of those old newspaper articles, they cover them, the Lambeau Leap game, them beating the Raiders to clinch a wild card spot in 93, like oh my gosh, this one isn't a tease this time. <laughs> right. We're actually, it's not a flash in the pan. We're actually good. <laughs> yeah, because they barely missed the playoffs in 92. And even after that season, you could read the articles and the commentaries like, well, it was a nice season and everything looks okay, but we've been down this road before. <laughs> and for them to fulfill the promise the following year was like, oh my God, this this actually might be it. Really saw them building towards something. It was it was not, you know, even though you kept getting beat in Dallas, you saw constant improvement and you didn't see tremendous drop off, which, you know, we had one year flashes in the pan, next year you're terrible. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden you saw this building thing and it was a lot of excitement in the state, I'll tell you that. And uh, just to put a quick close on this, um, I mentioned this in a previous podcast, but I think that 96 and 97, that run mm-hmm. of unquestioned dominance ruined me and my generation of Packer fans, because we think success looks like that era where you are 25 points better than every other team in the NFL. And that's a very rare thing. Not many teams ever have or ever will achieve that level of success. And so when the Packers go 12-4 and but only have a margin of victory, like the 96 team scored over 200 more points than their opponents over the- <laughs> That's ridiculous. The average score of a Packer game in 96 was 28 to 12. And wow. In my head and, and people my age, I was 9 and 10 years old when these games are happening. It's a very formative time for you. Very formative time and those so forevermore I'm like, well, this team is 13 and 3, but I don't remember that many 28 point wins, so they're probably not Super Bowl material. Uh, so well, I hope you strap in for some of the lean years because yeah. it's not always and, – and how many teams – that was really special. You're right in 96, 97. I mean, how many teams through the decades can yeah. you say were that dominant? Not the many. Steelers in the 70s. Yeah. The Bears uh, for one year, the Giants for one year. Exactly. Yeah. And so that, that you know, kind of – you know, all the way from 94 through 97 is yeah. a pretty dominant era. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I hope you enjoyed it because it's, it's really hard to separate yourself from the NFL that that much. Yeah, and, and cognitively I know that that's not normal, especially with how much I, I love to learn about the past. I know that's not normal, but there's something in the emotional hardwiring <laughs> of my fandom that's like – well, they won twenty three to sixteen. Big deal. If they were really better than the Bears, they would have won thirty eight to ten. Yeah. You know that kind of stuff. But all right, two thousands, which is a weird decade where they were successful but missed out on a Super so Bowl. Close. <laughs> so yeah, close. So close. So uh, close. For me, this is an, another easy one. Um, two thousand three, where the fourth and twenty sixth game, and two thousand seven, which, as we talked in in previous episodes, is. Maybe my favorite non-championship season ever because it was so unexpected. You would reserve or you would resign yourself to the fact that Brett Favre was never going to be in big games again, uh-huh. and then they're hosting the NFC Championship game. Yeah, uh, so 2007 would be one for me, and um, you know that that super super cold game against the Giants. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in the playoffs that they end up losing that Favre throws the interception. Like, uh, I, and, and I'm, I'm not even ragging on Favre here. I'm saying what better setup could you possibly want? Yeah. The Giants against the Packers in Lambeau Field. It's super cold to go to the Super Bowl. Um, like, what else could you possibly yeah. want? And so the, the build-up from that game, huge letdown, an enormous disappointment. But uh, but that was like, um, you know, everything, all the stars lined up. And, uh, and then when he throws that interception, you're just like, okay, how can you be that good for that many plays? And one play really, you know, send you down the tubes that way. It's not um, supposed to end that way. It's not. That's a really good way of saying it. it's not supposed to end that way. It should be dramatic, but not. That wasn't anybody making a, a, a big, spectacular play. That no. was just a bad throw. <laughs> exactly, and that's hard. Um, so are you in agreement? 2003, the the late-season surge with the Nate Poole game and the Brett Favre, um, Irv Favre game and 4th and 26, none of the other seasons really have that kind of drama. No, I, I'd agree with you. I'm right there with you. Okay, and then the 2010s, for me, um, again, I'm going back to the back-to-back Super Bowl years where the Packers in 2010 and 2011 had the – uh, 19-game win streak that, of course, uh, had a Super Bowl wedged in the middle and then uh, ended up losing in the divisional round to the Giants again in 2011. For that reason, it's I got to enjoy a championship in adulthood, which I had always wanted. It, you, I was old enough to be excited and have followed the team really closely uh-huh. in 1996, but I'd only been watching for about three years at that point, so I really didn't appreciate it. And then in the intervening years, to have so many devastating playoff losses and then to finally have it work out. Right. And for Aaron Rodgers to get that monkey off his back so early in his career that from that moment on, he could just play. And then in 2011, the way Aaron Rodgers played, uh, I've never seen an offense that good. It's hard to be that good playing on rookie on Madden and to see it in real life for about 20 games is something I'll Just never ridiculous. forget. Just ridiculous, yeah. And again, that's probably the reason why sometimes I'm critical of Aaron Rodgers when he's great because I've seen that and I'm like... <laughs> What do you mean well, why don't only you just 60? do what you did in 2011? <laughs> yeah, wh- what do you mean only three touchdown passes? You're supposed to have 350 yards and four touchdowns and four incompletions every game. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um I would go along with 2011 and believe it or not 2014 stands out for me. Excuse me. Yep. 2014 stands out for me because and and the reason is different. Well, my son and I, my son Ben and I, had decided that if they went to the Super Bowl, we were going to go. Okay. Now, going to Super Bowl is something that he and I have talked about, like, ever since we started walking the Packers, sure. uh, you know, since he was four years old, which is now 14 years ago. And we were going to go. Like, he had been saving money, and I had been saving mm-hmm. money to go. And, and then we were a little shocked with how much we didn't know it was going to cost to go. <laughs> uh, and I called him at halftime of the Seattle game, and I called him, and I said, we're going to the Super Bowl. Like, you know that. We're going to the Super Bowl, right? And I was actually in Minneapolis with my brothers. He was at home. And then when they lost, he called me, and he was inconsolable. Yeah. He was just devastatingly, uh, you know, uh, upset and frustrated. And he said with tears in his eyes, you are never going to have be able to be gone for a championship game again because <laughs> if you would have been home, they would have won. Um and, and so it was a bonding thing for my son. Sure, and that's sure. why it was so important to me. Because that really good football team absolutely should have won. Uh, shows you how good you have to be consistently all the way around the uh, – uh, all the way to the championship game to win it. But for me, it was really – it was the time my son and I really, really – and we would talk scheme together. He was old enough to talk about schemes and what happened and, mm-hmm. and what should have happened. And 
Um, so for a different reason, that, that year is really important to me. That year is incredibly memorable for me as well. Um, and, and that's a great, great story. Um, for a day, maybe, <laughs> after that game, I got to see sports fandom from a non-sports fan perspective. Okay. It had basically broken me. I was not as confident as you. Even at halftime, I'm like, they're going to lose it. And then once Morgan Burnett got the interception, I'm like, all right, they're going to win it. And then it slowly starts slipping. He got away. the interception and got told to sit and down to slide instead by of Julius scoring Peppers a touchdown. When he yeah, could have maybe one. scored. Yeah, that'll stick in my craw forever. <laughs> that's that's along with the Brett Favre interception. That's just burned in my brain. Yeah, right. Julius Peppers with his hands out saying slide down and went almost the joy was the shortest lived joy ever because it went from literally we're going to win to he slides we're going to lose we're going to lose. <laughs> Something bad is going to happen, but for that day after, I just had this feeling, and if you go back and listen to uh, Matt and I's episode after that, you can tell by the way we're talking, I had the first time in my life, I'm like, what What are we doing? This is such a waste of time to invest so much of your time and emotion into something you have absolutely no control over, and I feel like almost as close as you can have to a feeling of personal loss, and... There was nothing I did wrong. My life is fine. I didn't participate in this at all. I was just watching. And it felt, in a lot of ways, I don't know if I'm as big of a fan as I was before that game. I still am a huge fan and I've recovered most of it. But Mm -hmm. maybe only 80% of the fandom I was the morning of that game. Because it was just a realization of... Wow, this is all pretty silly. Uh, you know, my wife Jennifer is is uh, you know she's a football fan, but yeah. she's certainly not to the level that my son and I are. And she will often ask me like, "How can you dedicate so much time and effort?" And you guys talk about it all the time. And and um, you know, it, I, I've just been doing it so long, I never really <laughs> think about it. But if you think about the amount of time and that we spend watching it and talking about it and doing podcasts about yeah. it. Um, it's it's a pretty big hobby, and, and that's interesting that you have no control over it, and you just have to react to whatever happens. I never thought of it quite that way. Yeah, so that's what I think of in 2014. Okay. And and also the, the kind of the cheated aspect of it, because that season was so great. Aaron Rodgers coming back like Willis Reed out of the tunnel with right. a torn calf, <laughs> right. winning the division in the snow over the Lions, and they beat the Patriots in a slugfest, and back-to-back weeks of 50 points at Lambeau Field where you were just – you feel like they could have lined up against anybody in NFL history right. and thrown 50 on them. And all of that was forgotten because of five minutes of inexplicably bad play. And I felt like this was – this had the storylines that championships are made of, and now it's gone. Right, right. And, and so many things had to go wrong. Like, like it, you needed the perfect alignment of the stars, bad stars, to line up to happen. And you watched it unfold, and you were just like, okay, there's no, no – yeah. okay, no, yeah, but they still have – it's never – and then you watch it happen, and you're just like – I can't believe it. Yeah. Um, I'll never see it. So it's it's cool because it creates a memory, right? Yeah. And the memory, the emotion that it creates is a bad one. Um, but, it, you know, it still it still shows you that, um, you know, winning a Super Bowl is really hard. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't take much to, to throw it down the tube. So so consistency in this case or one player mm-hmm. who doesn't do what he's supposed to do can change the, the, the fortunes of an entire team. And the thing that makes me sad is if – the Rodgers McCarthy Thompson era never wins another championship and it's looking increasingly like right. that won't happen. Right. I fear that I'm going to remember the missed opportunity of 14 
more than I'm going to remember 2010. Hmm. And that sounds silly, especially to fans whose teams have never won Super Bowls. But I remember hearing Reggie White after he retired in interviews when they asked him, what is your most, what's your strongest memory of your career? And he says, Super Bowl 32. Wow. The, like, the loss. The loss of the Super Bowls. I think about it far more than winning the Super Bowl the year before. Wow. And you hate, at least you didn't participate, but yeah. And, and you think of the fact that so many guys on the 14 team weren't on the 10 team. And there's a talent cycle in there of Eddie Lacy and Micah Hyde, perhaps Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb. Right. A lot of these guys that, Julius Peppers, that were good enough to have won a Super Bowl and they weren't able to do they it. They weren't able to do it. Yeah. You don't, you know, you don't get that chance very often and when you do you better seize it. And yeah. Well, I'm still f- I'm feeling bad right now actually. Now, <laughs> I think we should move on to another question because I'm not feeling so good right now. I think now. we absolutely should. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you Brian. I know you you had good spirits at the beginning of this question and so did we. So thanks for plunging us into the depths <laughs> of despair, which may not get much reprieve on Sunday as the Packers take on the Baltimore Ravens. Again, no idea what to expect from the Packers. The Ravens, ever since they won the Super Bowl, have been such a weird team. They always seem to be lingering around the playoffs, but no one takes them seriously. Uh, One side note, the Packers announced they're going to wear their 1939 throwbacks. So those are the ones that are remnant. They're basically replicas of what they wore in 1994, which are the sort of reinterpretation of the 1939 uniforms. So when they brought those back a couple years ago to be their official throwback, I don't have a problem with them necessarily, but they've worn them against the Chargers, the Cowboys, and now the Ravens. Uh, everybody remembers those great 1939 matchups against the Ravens, <laughs> and, and even the 1994 throwback matchups against the Ravens. <laughs> Why wouldn't you pick Detroit yeah. or, or Chicago? Are those, are those the Powerball jerseys? Is that, is that uh, the one with the big circle in the middle and the number in the middle? No, these are the ones that have the bright orange helmet and basically a blue uniform but then from the shoulders up is gold okay all right i got you yeah it's the 94 throwbacks that they wore in the 75th anniversary season in like the uh the mud game against the bears i gotcha well uh so think about this for for sunday's game um you know for some period of time the packers have to become a running team because because not only to run but to be able to throw play action yeah the ravens are 28th in the league against the run 28 wow, in okay. the league against run. Now, you wouldn't think about that because they've got Terrell Suggs, and you always think of Holodi uh, Nada and those people who are su- were such big run stuffers. Those guys, you know, Suggs is old, 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 still, you know, still yeah. good. I'm, I'm not going to call anybody old who still looks that good and plays in the NFL. No, but he was drafted 15 se- This is 15th 15 season. 15 seasons, right? So you're 37 years old. Holodi Nada is long gone. Yep. Uh, Ed Reed is long gone, so this is not the same uh, Ravens defense. And so when you think Ravens, you think defense. But uh, you know we should be able to run the ball, and and not only that, but but uh, really between the tackles is where they're they've been most. They've got good speed, but they get beat uh, up the middle just with sure power. So now you have a a trap blocking scheme, a combo block, and a trap blocking scheme, which is designed for between the tackles. The two running backs you have that's what they do. They yeah. run between the tackles. Um, and so, listen. I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying they're great. Yeah. I'm saying that this lines up about as well as it possibly can for them. And if you can run the ball, and then you can get your tight ends involved. Now that we have all the tight end yep. stuff 
you know, kind of. Yeah, we didn't even talk about Martellus Bennett, but he's a piece of garbage. Whatever. Yeah, totally. Um, But, uh, you know, you still have two. Remember, you got two tight ends, Richards and Kendricks, who are very good players. And if you can go play action, that really opens up the middle of the field for your tight ends and for crossing routes for Cobb. So. you know, if they weren't at home, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be giving them much of a chance. But I, you know, this could easily be a, a twenty-one, you know, twenty-one seventeen Packer win. That's you know, if they can score. But one of the touchdowns will have to come from special teams or defense. Yeah, I think uh, the way you put it, that this is sets up as good as it possibly could, is an absolutely perfect way to put it. <sighs> I don't know what to expect from the Ravens. Their defense, like you said, you described perfectly, is not what it used to be. That Ravens offense has almost no weapons, so I don't quite know what they're going to do other than the fact that the Packers' defense is so poor that there's always going to be opportunities no matter how poor your offense is. I I think the Packers have a puncher's chance to win, realizing that at this point in the season with the skeleton crew they have left, they're capable of losing to anyone, but the Ravens feel like a team that they could hang with, and uh, if you can cut down on turnovers, make some plays, and don't have a complete meltdown defensively, um, you got a shot to yeah, win. Yeah, the Ravens are four and five. So we, yeah. we, when you say Ravens, what jumps into your mind is tough defense, championship-level team. They're four and five. Yeah. And uh, their offense is not setting anything on fire, and they're 28th against the run. Yeah. So this is a different team. And um, listen, you got to go into there with the right game plan. You, you've got to you've got to take all the pressure off of Hunley so that he lit- legitimately only has to throw downfield five or six times, you know, mm-hmm. more than ten yards, five or six times, and everything else is either a dump off to the back or or a short, you know, a short into the mm-hmm. to uh, Randall mm-hmm. Cobb or to one of the tight ends. Make it easy for him, and then uh, and then just run the ball, man. Because the rest of the league seems to be able to run the ball against him. How about we start there? Yeah, well. A lot, the rest of the league usually doesn't have their third and fourth running back. So I, I guess that's true. Again, it's a brand new offense once again, but they got a shot. So let's be hopeful that the Packers can pick up another win and maybe extend this dream a little bit further into the season. They're not going to beat Pittsburgh, but if they, uh, they get past the Ravens, then you get into legitimate uh, conversation of can you stay alive long enough until Aaron Rodgers returns. He practiced this week. He yep. still can't raise his shoulder above his or his arm above his shoulder, but the fact that they even allowed him to do footwork drills and stuff is certainly a good sign. So you're basically playing for the right to start dreaming about Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Return. So so if they if they go two and two, which is reasonable, you know you you lose two and you win two, um, then you're seven and six. And then uh, the last three games, Aaron Rodgers comes back. That's kind of how the schedule lays mm-hmm. out uh, mm-hmm. according to his recovery schedule. And so, would you have you'd have to win three in a row, which you're fully capable of doing because the teams at the end are not exact and they're and they're division foes. Yep. So uh, that lines up pretty well. Um, but if you don't, you know, if you go one and uh, if you go one and three during the stretch. You're probably shutting down your turn for the season. So absolutely. Okay. So thank you so much for joining us today. If you want to interact with the show and uh, provide us some questions for the future, D- uh, David Fiorillo, we got the uh, what if Sterling Sharp on our docket. I promise that will be next. Um, there's actually I researched that pretty heavily, so there's some really interesting stuff to talk about there. So that will definitely be in the incredibly near future we've been holding off since august when you asked that but i promise we'll get to that but also send your questions our way um we love talking about the past as you can tell about this uh, episode we are green and gold forever after all yeah, absolutely. not green and gold last week <laughs> uh 
Um, so send us your questions. You can do so on our Facebook page, Green and Gold Forever Fo- Podcast on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Green Gold Forever. Chris, that's the number four. So number four, like the number of games we have left until Aaron Rodgers could come back. Absolutely. Number four, okay. And hopefully top four where the Badgers will be in the playoff uh, wow. once the last rankings come on. Um, we're always tweeting about Wisconsin sports on uh, the Green and Gold Forever page. Also, you can go get our complete archives at our website, greengoldforever.podbean.com, and follow us on your mobile device. at or, uh, Search for the Green and Gold Forever podcast on iTunes, and also for the complete archives, follow the podcast on the Podbean app, and please uh, rate and review on either of those if you are so inclined, or both of them if you're so inclined. Okay, so the Packers have a chance to beat the Ravens and stay relevant for a little bit longer here in the 2017 season, and trying to build a bridge to the return of Aaron Rodgers. We will see if they can put that next plank on the Whatever. Yeah, it's it's there for the taking. <laughs> it's listen, it's, it's there for the taking. It could really, it could just as easily have yeah. been we, that we were playing three teams in the next four games that were juggernauts and we had no chance. So listen, you got a puncher's chance. Yeah, um, that's pretty good considering you're you, you're missing the best player in the league. I was on a roll with my imagery there, and then it all fell apart. <laughs> on a roll, and it all falling apart. It sounds like the 2017 Packers. Wow, are we? We'll see. Have a great day, everyone, and uh, take care.